and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Adrian Nicholl. And today on the show, we're digging into some of the summary judgments from the Tenancy Tribunal to give you a sense of how bad some tenancies can actually go. Now, you may not know that actually every time there is a tenancy tribunal hearing, there is a summary judgment which is uh, released online. And one caught our eye in particular in regards to meth testing. And I think that this is a really interesting case study for everybody at home to, under- to understand why you would get a baseline meth test and also how bad things can go. Now, this comes from uh, earlier this year in down in Pukekohe. And it has been a case that has been going on for a little while. So a guy by the name of, I think it was Glenn in this case, uh, came along and he rented out a place down in, in Pukekohe in Auckland. And it sounds, by the sounds of things, he was probably a boarder there. There were nine bedrooms within this property and the landlords lived on the same property. Now, what happened is Glenn went away to Australia for some business and he let some of his colleagues or... So he says. Well, so he says. Or some of his workers, uh, he, he let live in the property during that time or when he went down to Wellington. And he claims that some people were living in his property with his permission and uh, did some meth or, or consumed some meth or cooked some meth. Yeah, they, um, judging by the readings, it was suggested that it was manufactured to get that higher result. It certainly wasn't an isolated event of some friends staying over at the weekend and smoking some meth. Uh, it, it was cooked. That's correct. And and particularly in the hallways is quite interesting. So he came in and he rented this property in January 2018. Now he was served a 48, uh, sorry, a 42 day notice uh, mid 2019. So 18 months later, for that 42 do- day notice in order to vacate the property. Now these uh, landlords got a baseline meth test in order to understand, uh, you know, what was the baseline when he first moved in. This was I just to identify no meth. That's correct. No meth. They did a they did a test as he moved out. There was meth. So something happened within those within those eighteen months there. And it's interesting. I do do just want to mention uh, before we dig in is that this was a property that was managed by Barford and Thompson, even though it appears to be a bit of a boarding house with those nine rooms out in Pukekohe and the landlords on the property. Though it's not explicitly said in the summary judgment. Now, what's really interesting is that the the landlords, with support of Barfoot. Uh, which is, if anybody not living in Auckland, is, is like the major real estate player in Auckland. They're the biggest real estate agency and they have a very, very significant property management portfolio. Now, they the, te- the landlords claimed in August 2019, they were trying to get 45K out of the, out of the tenant in order to be able to, to pay for some of the, the remediation work that was needed. That then went up to 65K and then on to 71K. So it kept on increasing the amount that they were asking for. Now, this is only shown in the in the 29-page report or the 25-page report that you get out of the Tenancy Tribunal if you read the articles about this up? online. Well, they kept on increasing it uh, because of the costs that they considered that they were paid or for additional what they call exemplary damages. Now, in the end... Glenn was required to pay, and this was this is handed down by the Tenancy Tribunal, $29,644. So look, just shy of 30K in order to be able to, to pay for all of the costs. And first of all, I think any any tenant out there or any landlord intra, uh, who is listening would say that is a lot of money in order to be able to remediate this work. And I just want to point out, um, before Andrew and I go back and forth, what this is actually made up of. Because when we go into the Tenancy Tribunal ruling, 
you can see that although 29.5k was charged to uh, to Glenn in this case, uh, and I won't say his last name, uh, though you could look it up if you really wanted to, only 63% of that 29k, 29.5k, actually went to cleaning up the, the, the methamphetamine can, contamination. So about 18.5k. There was an extra 45 for testing. There was um, just over a grand in terms of accommodation during decontamination. That was for the landlords, Andrew. Yes, 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 for the landlords. In order for them to move out while the property was being decontaminated, they had to replace all carpets. That was $1,300. They replaced all curtains and blinds. That was Um, They changed the locks and the keys. There was two grand for smoke alarms. A lot of money for some smoke alarms. I don't know how many smoke alarms they had, but at $30 a piece, that's quite significant. They might have just um, pumped up the valuation of those smoke (laughs) alarms in order to get back. Um, But it's interesting as well to read that um, some of the sneaky things that the people – cooking meth for want of a better term or phrase um, did was they would take out the, the batteries from the smoke alarms or they would turn the batteries around the other way so that they clearly wouldn't work um, in order so that they could uh, manufacture their product there. Now Andrew you've been reading this as well, what's speaking out to you within this, uh, not just as a case study but for what people at home can take away when they're, they're managing their own properties uh, or, or thinking about their own property investment portfolio? So there's one, one sentence here which is Faithful who's uh, one of the owners uh, said when he moved back into the house, he noticed that the smoke alarms had been tampered with. Now that, uh, uh, as a landlord, when something doesn't smell right, it normally isn't. And so I probably would have got a test done straight away if I'd if I'd noticed something like that. Uh, that that just seems odd to me. Um, and actually, if you've got a good land, uh, a good property manager, those are the kind of things that they should be looking out for because they should be testing the smoke alarms when they're doing an inspection. And then if they're not working, because in this case none of them were in the house, you'd check the batteries, because it seems very odd that they'd all run out at the same time, and then I'd start to investigate. So this was triggered by their 42-day notice, which is just a normal notice to vacate so that they can use the property for themselves, and uh, uh, if you notice something amiss, then you do a test straight away if it could be related to meth, because meth is one of those things that it was it was the big thing for a while, and then, and then it turned out that actually we were being overzealous with it. But it is still a real issue, particularly if someone is cooking in the house um, because you cannot live there. And and if you rent a house out that's got meth contamination, as we've seen in other judgments, you might find yourself having to reimburse the tenants their rent that they've paid. And so that can be quite significant and or damages. Now, one of the key things around this, because I remember reading another judgment where a tenant... I'm sorry, a landlord had done a test, found the presence of meth, and so they um, they filed for eviction. They ended up getting sued by the tenant saying, well, you had no baseline test, so that could have been me renting a meth house. Now, the tenant probably did it. The butler probably did it. But in this case, they had no baseline test. Now, the baseline test is the first test that you get when you take possession of a house to show that there is no... Uh, a residue of meth in the property. Uh, still important in the new build, particularly if you are going to get these regular t- uh, tests done. So personally, and this is just a personal thing, um, I, I don't bother with this. It just asked me off here, do I worry about this with my properties? No, I don't, because I kind of think the law of averages, I haven't had any risk. I mean, I, I've, I've owned a meth-contaminated house, but I knew it was meth-contaminated before I bought it. So so I, I generally speaking, and because of the type of properties I deal in, don't see it as a major risk. Now, 
that could be a little risky, I guess. But rather than pay um, pay for for the meth test against thirty eight properties, I'd rather self insure in this instance. And if if something comes up at one stage, I'll deal with it personally. Uh, and so. If you if you are going to take possession of a, a brand new property, you get a be uh, sorry a, a new property whether it be brand new or or of someone else, you get your baseline meth test. Uh, you might wonder why would you get it on a brand new property? Because I've had a tenant who uh, got one at the exit of a tenancy, but they had no baseline test, so they couldn't prove that there was no meth in the house at take handover. And now. I actually thought this seems a bit odd. It's a brand new house. No one's lived in it. But uh, I heard from a few construction managers in Auckland that during the last boom, you had tradespeople working 24 hours a day. And so they were smoking meth and painting the house. And so, so, so because of that, there is the potential for contamination in that phase. And or, if I'm an opportunist meth cooker, um, I'm, I may be a little more intelligent than the average uh, meth cooker, I would look for houses that are being built and go and cook my meth there. Uh, either that or create a market for it right now. And so you have to have that baseline test done. The other thing that stands out to me in this is um, this is a huge judgment. Now, I've only ever had to have one judgment against one tenancy and and it was $2,000 at which then what they did was they got means tested and it showed that these people were three kids and and one and a half job that they couldn't afford to pay me that so they paid it off at $10 a week for about three months and then they disappeared to Australia and I never saw that money again. So one important thing here is if you have insurance that covers something like this, a breach of tenancy or, a, or, or something like a meth-contaminated house, you, your insurance company, once you've got this judgment, will pay you $29,644, and they will then chase the, the tenant, not your problem. And I would strongly recommend that people do that. And I think one of the things contributing to this this very, very large uh, payout or judgment is the fact that it was a big house. It was nine bedrooms. And when they did 21 samples around this property in particular, they found 17 instances where there was contamination. So it was in the lounge hallway stairs. It was in the lounge wall. It was in the dining room. It was in the lounge dining room. It was in the garage roller door and the garage. It was in the dining room floor. So there were multiple areas. Although you could say, well, is the dining room and lounge um, the same? Well, we don't really know from this report, but it was in the garage as well. So it was- The interesting thing about that, Ed, is that the the smoke or whatever it produces is obviously travelling to quite an extreme extent because I would imagine, not being a meth cook, a meth cook that you close the doors before you do it right yeah well you'd assume at, at the very least that it wouldn't be done in the lounge hallway stairs <laughs> you know at the, at the very least that they're, they're not going to set it up there now I don't re- I don't really know but um, that's what I would what I would assume so perhaps it does travel and maybe we should get some more, more insight uh, or an expert to talk about some of these particular things but I think what this acts as a really interesting case study of is where it can go uh, really really pear shaped and I think 
and good on Barfield and Thompson for bringing in their internal legal counsel in this instance in order to be able to pursue this and to support their landlords in this case. And I think that that's uh, very, very interesting. And perhaps we will, as we find out more about very, very interesting uh, tenancy tribunal cases, print out these summary judgments you know, and review the 30 pages so that we can give you these highlights as we have here today um, so you're able to understand some of the intricacies around some of these judgments and, and just understand the full extent of when things go really, really wrong. Look, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to learn more about property with Andrew and I, not check out our No Money Worries email course. This is where we have collated our top nine lessons and even put together a little bit of homework for you so that you can just think about how you've invested in property or thought about property in the past and just think about how that might need to change in the future. Now, I'm going to link to that in the show notes, so tap or swipe over that cover art. There'll be a link in for you there. Or you can go to opuspartners.co.nz slash no money worries. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicole. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 